Well, good morning. My name is uh, my name is Matt. I'm part of the leadership here at Grace City. I just want to add my welcome to to Andrew's welcome. If this is your first time, if you're just checking out uh, church or this church or just faith in general, I just want to say you're so welcome here. Thanks for coming. Um, we we started a a new sermon series just last week that we have called "Oh Come, Let Us Adore Him," uh, and what we are wanting to do as a church this Christmas is that we want to do this. We want to worship Jesus. And if you are new to church, maybe you're not even a Christian this morning, you might think, well, that doesn't sound terribly surprising. That Surely, yes, surely, of course, Christians want to worship Jesus. Don't you want to worship Jesus all the time? And yes, we, we do. But we, we Christians, we believers, we can at Christmas get kind of carried along by the fluffy sentimentality of Christmas just as much as anyone else, right? We, we are not immune to that ourselves. And as we are going through Luke chapter 1, so if you do have a Bible, please open to Luke chapter 1, we want to see all the reasons that we have to worship Jesus. We want to we actually feel this adoration, and to that end, what I, what I have for you this morning, um, what I have for you this morning here, is, is a bit of an advent calendar, as it, as it were, right? When I was a kid and growing up, I used to, every year, I'd always, always have an advent calendar. And every day would open that little window, giving me access daily to high-quality British chocolate. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not saying that British chocolate is superior to North American chocolate, I don't have to say that. <laughs> you all know this. You know this already. I actually have a friend. Uh, I mean, I say when I, had a, when, I was a, when I was a kid, I had this. Some of you have advent calendars, and you're, you're nowhere near. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. What is not okay is what a friend of mine used to do at school, which was, you know how, how advent calendars work, is you, every day you look for the right, you know, you look for the next number. You search it out, and then you open that one friend I had at school did not do that, would just start in the top left-hand corner, and then every week, every day, just go kind of methodically through. He was, of course, a sociopath <laughs> who had never known joy in his life. Anyway, anyway, the, 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 the story we're about to read from Luke chapter 1 is Advent calendar-like in that it gives us a series of windows in to the Christmas story. So I don't have a series of points that I'm going to work through this morning. Instead, I have this set of windows, this set of glimpses into why and how the Son of God comes to earth. We, we get to see what it is that goes on, what is going on from, from different angles, and hopefully we're just going to end up this morning with a whole bunch of reasons to stand and sing and worship and adore our Jesus, and, and why that is a, the, the totally natural response when we come to the story of Christmas. So let us read Luke chapter 1 from verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So let's begin our Advent calendar of a sermon, okay? So window number one is the angel Gabriel, right? So here it's not... (laughs) Do you remember how last week Rich was like was talking about angels and how angels are really scary? And if an angel shows up, you fall on your face because they are terrifying. This is not it, right? <laughs> this slightly chubby guy with curly hair holding a flower. <laughs> terrifying. Okay, it's not the best representation, but nevertheless, Gabriel is our first window. And uh, he's back for a second week in a row, if you notice. Why is... Um, Gabriel back. Well, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Have you ever wondered why in the Christmas story there are so many angels? Right In the Old Testament, you go and read the Old Testament, angels are pretty rare. 
right? The angels, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a handful in Genesis, there's some in Judges and Daniel, but apart from that, they're, they're just, it's, angels are very rare. But you get to the Christmas story and angels are everywhere. You can't move for angels. There's angels all over the shop. Why? Why are there so many angels in the Christmas story? Well, Here's something, here's something I think we all understand, right? And that is that there are different levels of communication. There's different levels of communication. We, we get this. So if you're, if you're trying to set up a coffee with someone, yeah, you can, just, you can just send them a text, right? Straightforward enough. But if it's more complicated than that, you, know, you need to you know, have a conversation, you're probably going to give the person a call. And sometimes, right, if there's a disagreement, you have a disagreement with someone, then you, you just want to sit down. You, that, that's a face-to-face thing, right? You need to see the whole picture. You need to get the expressions and the body language, and you want to, to remind yourself that they're a human being. You don't want to do that over text. There's different levels of communi- communication. Oh, here, here's another example just for... I you know, mentioned this last week. For me, recently, right, I became engaged, okay, recently. So, um, yeah, no, I wasn't looking for that. <laughs> I like how it started over here and then people felt guilty over here. I was like, don't want to be just sat there like this. But thank you, right-hand side of the room. Um, (laughs) Left-hand side of the room. No, that's still the right-hand side. Anyway, anyway, this is not my point. This wasn't, oh, by the way, I would just like a bit of applause at this point in the, no, no, no. Okay, so I got engaged a few weeks ago and we understand this. That is not a thing you do over text, right? If you just say, what do you reckon? It's not going to go, like, if, if Rachel were just to receive a message, ring emoji, question mark. Mm. Oh, yeah, this is, this, is how I, this is how I always dreamt it would be. We, we understand there are different levels of communication. And the same sort of thing is going on with Gabriel, right? And all these other angels that just fill the skies over the course of the Christmas story. And God here, he's doing something at Christmas that's so consequential. He has this message that is so important that suddenly God's heavenly messengers are everywhere like they've never been before. Our first window into the the Christmas story this week tells us there is something unique going on here. Even amongst all the other stories of God doing incredible things in this book, there is something unique, something that stands out. So who does Gabriel go to this time? To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Okay, so big... Christmas question time. Why does Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Why, why is that a, a, a big deal? Because it seems to be a big deal, right? It, it seems to be, you know, even after, right, a bit later on in, in Luke chapter 3. So the Christmas story has passed at this point, And Luke, he's, he's going to start telling the story of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he reintroduces Jesus in, the, in the verse 23 of Luke 3 and says this, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. As was supposed. Or, or so it was thought. It, 
is, G, is Jesus born of a virgin? Is that just God doing a miracle for the sake of God doing a miracle and making it a bit special? Or is there something bigger going on? Which brings us to our window number two in our advent calendar, which is Adam. Right? Until, until we understand the story of Adam, we are not going to get to grips with why, why the Son of God comes to earth. You, know, you, you may not be a, a Christian here this morning, but you may know the Christmas story. Maybe you know lots of stories in this, in this book very, very well. But you might, this, this central question of why does Jesus, why does the Son of God come to earth, that the answer to that question may elude you. And so let's look to Adam. Right? There, there is Adam, right? in the beginning, a, a son of God. All of humanity is in him. E- even, even Eve is in Adam and, and comes out of Adam. And so Adam stands at the, at the head of the world, at the head of humanity, and Adam falls from grace. He disobeys God, and so he falls, and so sin, his sin, enters the world, and death enters the world. And because Adam has fallen, so we all have fallen. And of course, this is how it goes. The human race falls with Adam because Adam is the human race. If, if If you've even read a bit of the Bible you'll notice that in this book there are, there are lists of genealogies. And if you read them, they're just, and this guy had this child, and then he grew up, and he had this child, and he begat this guy, and he, he begets these sons. And it's just that, on and on and on. And all of these sons, all of these sons of men, all come in from Adam, all branches of this same family tree. You know, Christmas trees are actually unintentionally a really good, just a wonderful illustration for this. And I don't know how Christmas trees look to other cultures. Uh, there's, something, there's something a bit weird about it. If you stand back and kind of just talk through, have to explain what a Christmas tree is to people. What, what is it that we do with a Christmas tree, right? We go and we find a healthy growing tree and we cut it down we cut it down and it and it it very quickly dies and it doesn't matter which branch of this christmas tree you go to it doesn't matter which individual pine needle you go and inspect it's all connected to the same deadness it's all one dead thing and we bring it inside and we put it in the corner and it's this this dead thing in the corner and of course, we, we dress it up, right, don't we? we? We dress it up, we get the decorations out, and we put lights on it and baubles and tinsels, and we make it look lo- lovely. But it's still a dead thing, sat in the corner of the room. It doesn't matter how much you decorate it, because at some stage, the deadness becomes to be apparent, right? The, the needles start to fall out, and it, the, the, what was the, the greenery goes brown. And then at some point in... Early January, you throw it out by the side of the road. It's really the same with us. It doesn't, doesn't matter which part of the, the, the human 
family tree you go, which member of the, 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 the human race that you go and inspect, which, which branch of the family tree you look at, we're all born of Adam. We're all born into his sin, his fall from grace, his distance from God. It's, it's ours too. And of course, we, we try and we dress it up. We get the decorations out. We, we, we do good things and we try and be very nice and summon up a little, a little bit of self-righteousness. We try and give that appearance of life. Perhaps even the facade sticks for a little bit, at, at least. Maybe it holds. Maybe it tr- even tricks us for a little while. And we end up thinking, yes, I am a good person even in comparison to some of these other branches of the human race that you might be sat next to this morning. But it doesn't matter. You're still cut off at the root. You're, you're still in Adam. See, that is what we're meant to see. When we, when we read all of these lists of genealogies in the Bible, we're meant to see the, this name after name of imperfect, flawed, wicked Sinners, and we're meant to look at that and read it and go, like father, like son. Just a, just a long list of Adams. See, this is the, the big problem that God starts to address with, with Christmas. You know, clear, clearly, a deep, what's necessary, what's needed, what's desperately required is a new family tree. This is why the Holy Spirit overshadows a virgin and causes her to conceive. And this is why Joseph has nothing to do with it. A virgin needs to conceive because if we're to deal with this big problem, the root problem of sin and death, we need a new family tree unconnected to Adam. Which brings us to our third little advent calendar window. Mary. These, these paintings are not, they're not the best representation, are they? She doesn't exactly look Middle Eastern, does she? <laughs> she looks whiter than I am. <laughs> See, M- Mary, in, 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 the, in the passage that we've read this morning, Mary responds so, just so incredibly well to the news that Gabriel brings. She responds with joy. She responds with faith. With hope. You see it in that, in that wonderful, amazing song that she sings. She sings things like, For behold, from now on, all the generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You could sing that. This is, this is worship. This is worship. And how different from what we saw last week. If you were here last week, you, you would have heard Rich. It's on the website, gracecity.ca. You can go and listen to it. Rich was preaching about the story of, of Zechariah. And we met Zechariah. He's, he was this, this priest. And when the angel Gabriel turns up to Zechariah, we did not see, did we? We did not see a lot of joy. We did not see a lot of hope, not a lot of faith there, not a lot of worship. Zechariah and his, and his wife Elizabeth, they're, they're, they're old, they cannot have children, and Gabriel comes and, and says to them, you're going to have a son. 
And it's a familiar enough story in the Bible. You can read this, this book and come across many times when this sort of thing happens. There are many couples throughout Scripture who cannot have children. Maybe it's the, the, the husband is infertile, or maybe it's the, the wife who is infertile. Or in some cases, like in the case of Abraham, for example, you've got... They're both so old, the, the idea of them having children is just out of the question. And again and again, God miraculously brings life where there was barrenness and lifelessness. It's almost as if time and time again what God is doing is foreshadowing, hinting at what he's going to do with this barren, dead, lifeless human race. That he is going to bring life there. And yet Zechariah, he hears, he, you know, he knows his Bible. He's an old priest. He knows all these stories. And an angel turns up to him, and he does not respond with joy, faith, hope. But instead, with cynicism, he, he responds with unbelief. And Gabriel, as a response, says, okay, you're going to be mute until your son is born. And uh, Maybe we can actually just bring up on this. Yeah, so this is, this is what Zechariah says. We, let's compare what Zechariah says and what Mary says. Just for a moment, let's read both. So Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Okay, let's, let's, read, let's read what Mary, Mary says as well. So Mary says, um, uh, not, not that one. Uh, that one. Oh, there it is. Okay, so Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Okay, you take what Zechariah says and you take what Mary says and you just inspect the words that they use and they're essentially saying the same thing. They're essentially saying, how is this going to happen? And both point, both Zechariah, both Mary point at the material, physical reason why this ordinarily would not happen. And yet Mary is esteemed, and Zechariah is made mute. So this is so important for us to see, because God does not look at the superficial. He, he looks much deeper, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This, right, here, this, this is why it does not matter how nice we are, how good a person we think that we may, how much, how much decoration we heap on ourselves. It just, it never gets deep enough. Time and time again, you see that God is all about the state of the heart. God sees Zechariah and Mary say essentially the same thing but with very different things going on inside. Zechariah asks with the heart that says, I don't think this is possible. And Gabriel calls him out on that. You have not responded with belief. And Mary asks with a heart that just goes, you know what, I just want to know how this happens. And the angel Gabriel responds, you have believed the word of the Lord. You just wanted to know how this Happens. You know, one is questioning with unbelief, and the other, Mary, shows us that our questions, the questions that we have, 
can coexist quite healthily with faith and hope and joy. We might go, I, God, I don't know why this is happening or why this happened or how this works out in the grand scheme of things, but God, I, I know who you are. I know that you're good. I know that you love me. And, and, and so there can be a response even, and we all do have those questions. We can respond to those with, with those questions still in our minds with worship and with adoration. That's important for us to see. But just taking Zechariah and Mary together, the, the roles here seem reversed, don't they, right? If I were to put before you an elderly priest, a man of God who has served God, the, served the Lord for, for decades, for longer than, let's face it, all of us have been alive, and I put him before you, and I put a teenage girl before you, and I say, which of them is more likely, which of them should respond to God with, with faith and hope and joy, I think we would probably say, well, the priest, the Zechariah is, is the one who, who should. And you know what? I, I think that should be the case. Right? I, I'm just thinking, for me personally, right? If I ever get close to Zechariah's age, I want to be, just because I'm, I'm well aware of all of the, the areas in my life and my heart where I'm wanting to respond to God with, with more faith and more hope and more joy. I am, I, gosh, if I get anywhere close to Zechariah's age, I, I'm hoping that I'm responding with more of all of those things than I am right now. I am so very much a work in progress. There's so much, so much room for me to, to grow. But what we see with Zechariah is that that is not guaranteed, right? A, a lifelong service to, to God, you know, even mediating between God and man as the priest in those days did, can lead still to a sick heart, a sick heart riddled with unbelief. You know, for, for Zechariah, age and professional ministry experience are very holy CV did not equal a faithful heart. Now, we're not, we're not done with Zechariah yet. If you come back next week, you're going to hear, Josh is going to preach next week on, on the next story, the next bit of Zechariah's story, and we're going to see how, how God's grace gets to grips with Zechariah's uh, unbelieving heart. But still, this is scary stuff. This is the sort of thing that could happen to any one of us. You know, there, there, there is this big encouragement here for those of us who are new Christians. Those of us who are younger Christians in the grand scheme of things. Mary responds to God so, so well. You don't have to, to wait till you've got the decades of Christian service to be some sort of super Christian, some faith warrior. No. I imagine no one thought very much of Mary the teenager. Right? I, I doubt many would have placed her highly in the rankings of very holy spiritual people. But God does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How wonderful. How wonderful for Mary. Christians in the room. I don't care if you've been a Christian for decades. 
longer than I've been alive. Maybe you you think you have seen it all. I don't care if you've been a Christian for four days. Can we we just do a heart check right now? Because this is serious. If Zechariah can end up in that state, so can any of us. So can me. So can you. How, how is your heart doing towards God? What's going on in there? How is your heart doing towards the things of God, towards his church and his people? Is there a cynicism there? Is there a hardness there? It's a dangerous place to be because on the surface we may look real good and everyone goes, oh, what a holy spiritual person they are. What's going on inside? Because that's where God looks. And a, a heart that is full of cynicism and hardness, it's a, it's a really unpleasant place to be. And that's not what God wants for you. That's not what God wants for you. We must keep careful watch over our hearts. Let's, let's endeavor instead to emulate Mary's heart, Mary's approach, one that says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. See, Mary is pretty incredible. And I, I really I want to be like her because Mary, she sees something. She gets something. She knows something. And what I want to do is I want to make sure that everyone in this room knows and sees and gets it as well. So let's look at this last window in this morning's Advent calendar, right? This is Jesus. See, all, all of those genealogies in the Bible, all of those Adams, like father, like son, all those sons of man, and then we get to Jesus. We, we meet the only one we read this morning described as the son of God. Jesus, born of a virgin, is born as the new man, is born to bring about a different kind of birth. We sung it this morning in that carol we sang to open up our service, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. That's why Jesus comes. You see, here's something I can say, and maybe the only thing I can say about every single one of you with 100% accuracy and 100% precision is that you have all been born once. Oh, how does he do it? <laughs> Such insight. That's not the questioner. The question, though, is have you been born again? Because this is what happens when you believe in Jesus, when you surrender your life to him. It's as if you're snipped out of the family tree of Adam and then grafted in to the family tree of Jesus. You're no longer, you're suddenly no longer attached to the dead tree, but you're joined into the resurrected Jesus, born again into new life, into his life. This is not new life that you summon up yourself, but new life that flows from him in grace. I just realized on on the last page of my notes, I I caught myself saying, um, I want to have, we should try and have Mary's heart. You can't have Mary's heart. Not on your own effort. Not on your own sweat and blood and tears. You just can't do it. Because that's not getting deep enough. 
It's not just, okay, the surface stuff, oh, that's the stuff that needs to be good. No, okay, okay, it's heart. I've got to work on my heart. You can't even do that. You, you just can't get in there. You need God to come in and give you a new heart. And that flows from him in grace. You know, Mary, in, in the worship song that we read from her this morning, sings of knowing God, her Savior. This is what Christmas is about. This is why Jesus came, that that you, that I might know God as my Savior. Do you know that this morning? Not the Jesus, the Savior of the world in some Christmas card sense, in some big picture passive sense, but Jesus, your Savior. Do you know that? Because you need to. See, the the very name of Jesus means that the Lord is salvation. See, sometimes we can end up thinking that salvation is this big box of stuff and there's forgiveness in there and there's righteousness in there and there's peace and there's joy. And salvation is not that. Salvation is Jesus. Salvation is Jesus. It's about being grafted into him. See, the, the early church used to have this saying to, to describe what it is that had to, to explain Christmas. And they, they would say, he became what we are so that we might become what he is. He became what we are. And what are we? We are the Christmas tree, headed for the rubbish dump, perishing, dying, doomed for condemnation. We are flesh. And the Son of God became flesh. Why? So that we might become what he is. And what is he? Verse 32 of what we read today. Son of the Most High. He is the one who for for all eternity has been calling the Most High God Father, Daddy. That, that That was the life of eternity before there was a universe, before... Before Adam, the, the, the son in the communion of the Holy Spirit was calling the Most High Father. But the son became flesh so that we who are flesh might become what he is, sons and daughters of the living God. So that we grafted into the son that we might call the Most High God Father. Daddy, Jesus comes to earth because God, Father, Son, and Spirit want you to enjoy that too. Listen, if, if you're hearing this this morning and you want this, you can have this. Again, it's not about what you do. It's not about what you bring to the table. If you want to be grafted into this new family tree, I, I would love to chat with you this morning. I would love to pray with you this morning. You can have it. We, uh, if, in fact, if, I'd go as far to say, if you recognize that need, even a little bit, God is doing something in you. Seriously, I'd love to chat with you. All of this it is astonishingly good news, isn't it? 
It's no wonder the angels get all excited. It's no, it's no wonder that they call it good news, a great joy to all people. You know, let's, let's stand. Let's, would you stand with me? I just want us to spend the rest of our time in worship to this amazing God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus became what we are so that we might become what he is. God, thank you that I can even start that prayer by saying that. Father, Lord, I, I, just, I, I thank you that it's not about what I bring to the table. It's not about all the good things that Matt's done. There's very few, very little of it. But God, you have stepped down into our darkness, into our deadness, and you've taken our sin and our death upon, upon yourself, Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you that you are raised to life and for all who call upon your name, they're raised to life in you. Lord, that is, that is a wonderful truth. And we just worship you for everything that Christmas is, everything that Christmas leads to, Lord. Thank you that you took a barren, lifeless, dead human race. And in spite of all of us and all of the things we've done, you have birthed a new family tree in your son, Jesus. We, we praise you. We worship you. We know we don't deserve a single bit of it. But we, we, we just receive your grace and your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to worship.